From Miss Radio, I'm Angelo Gonzalez, and this is Mr. Gonzalez's Neighborhood. Today, Rachel Saunders, the Director of Conservation at the Big Sur Land Trust, has helped promote conservation for over 30 years on the Central Californian coastal and marine environments. Through science, policy, and communication, and of course community engagement, Rachel has led a passion-filled life and has remained committed to serving and helping those around her. By ensuring the opportunity for our community members to reconnect with the natural world. Today, we discuss the Carmel River Free Project. This is a project that seeks to restore the natural floodplains and habitat and significantly reduce flood risk for homes and businesses in the Lower Carmel River watershed. We will discuss the history of Big Sur Land Trust 128-acre project site at the former Odello Fields, donated to the trust by none other than Clint and Margaret Eastwood. It's Thursday, October 17th. Hello, welcome back. This is Miss Radio Podcast. And I'm your host, Angelo Gonzalez. I'm here with our esteemed guest, Rachel Saunders, the Director of Conservation here for the Big Sur Land Trust. Uh, pleasure to have you with us on our show today. Uh, today we're going to dive right into uh, the heart and soul of Big Sur Land Trust and the great work that they're doing in our local community, specifically with regards to sustainability and conservation. Uh, today, our project focus will be the Carmel River Free Project. And uh, so without further ado, um, just a little bit background going into it. Um, this is a project that is uh, immediately adjacent to the south bank of the lower Carmel River. And some of uh, the associated riparian corridor, I think that's how you say it. Riparian. Riparian. Yeah, oh, I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> On the west and east sides of the State Route 1, known as the Odello Fields. Uh, this is part of the Carmel Area Land Use Plan. And the project lead is uh, Melanie Beretti. With uh, the uh, County of Monterey. So this project is... Um, a partnership where co-sponsors the Big Sur Land Trust and the County of Monterey Resource Management Agency are co-sponsors of this project. Excellent, excellent. So yeah, I mean, to dive right into it, um, first of course, um, your involvement with Big Sur Land Trust, um, uh, to my knowledge, has been extended for uh, quite some time. How did how did you come across this organization? How did you find yourself in this area? Uh, well, first, thank you very much for the opportunity to chat with you today. Really appreciate it. Um, it's always great to uh, reach out uh, to uh, you know our local area and um, our area's universities and colleges and um, you know all the students that are in this area. Um, are really obviously the future stewards of the planet. So um, it's always a great um, opportunity for us to connect in this way. Um, so I um, moved to this area a long time ago to do this type of work, conservation work. Um, back in 1983, I arrived in this area. Um, I worked a lot in my career on ocean conservation and um, a friend of mine, uh, 
12, 13 years ago was working for the Big Sur Land Trust and we had a conversation about um, what the land trust was doing at the time and how the land trust was really looking to expand its mission and how it does its work and the geography it works in within Monterey County. And I just got really interested. I met with the executive director at the time um, and there was an opportunity and a job here at the land trust that I was interested in. And so I, um, with some humor, say often say that I evolved out of the ocean onto the land, uh, <laughs> yeah, leaving ocean conservation. Um, and uh, but we still do a lot of work in that land sea interface. Um, uh, and so I, you know, I have um, a strong lifetime connection with the sea as well as the land. Excellent. excellent. So I've been here at the Land Trust. Uh, my 12-year anniversary is next week. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. I mean, that transition um, from ocean to land, you know, I, I could imagine you see some similarities and how they interconnect and how, and how that moves uh, together, you mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. with the conservation aspects of it. Um, so to, to get uh, into the transition into this project, I like to start from its uh, infancy and mm -hmm. how it began. Um, I know that the Big Sur Land Trust 128 acre site at the former Odello Fields was donated by uh, Clint and Margaret Eastwood mm -hmm. um, and that 79 acres would be dedicated to this project. How was that uh, decided? How was that uh, sprung about? So if I may, I'll go back a little bit further if that's okay yes, with you um, um, and then we'll we'll reconnect with the Eastwoods momentarily. Um, <laughs> um, so Odello Fields, uh, which is how people who have lived here for a long time refer to that area just south of the Carmel River. So there's uh, often referred to as Odello West. So just south of the Carmel uh, River on the west side of the highway, as you're looking towards the ocean, um, uh, is some of the land that's part of this project and uh, also formerly was artichoke fields. Um, Wow. that were harvested uh, and farmed by the Odello family. And um, also on the east side of the highway um, were additional fields that they farmed. So they owned property, the Odello family, on both the west side and the east side um, and farmed it for artichokes for many, many, many years. Um, and, uh, and they consequently, in order to protect those artichoke fields, um, levees were developed on the just the south side um, of the river to prevent the river from flooding into those fields um, under you know high flood events and there was also a levee put in on the northern side of the river these are earthen dirt levees uh, to protect the development on the north side of the river um, over time the Odellos ended up um, stopping their farming operations and they ended up uh, transferring their property on the west side of the highway to California State Parks um, and that area today is known as Carmel River State Beach and the Carmel River Lagoon uh, and then on the east side of the highway um, Clint and Margaret Eastwood acquired that property Odello East 
Uh, and um, in two different donations, one in 1997, they donated 49 acres of that. And then in 2016, they donated another 79 acres. So altogether, we now own 128 acres. Uh, and they carved out, uh, so people familiar with the area, when you drive down Highway 1, you see these little red houses uh, that are on the east side, uh, on Odello East, and they carved out a portion of that property uh, and retained ownership of where the little red houses are. But the rest of the land, uh, known as Odello East, now belongs to the Big Sur Land Trust, and that donation was critically important to making this Carmel River Free Project possible. Uh, the project itself, uh, its inception, um, uh, in terms of the idea of doing this project, came as a result of the big El Nino storm events in the 1990s. So in 1995, um, I lived here at this time, uh, there was a huge uh, set of storms in that winter and there was flooding that occurred, the ri river rose, and there was so much water going through the river at that time and flowing over both into Odello Fields to the south and into the developed areas to the north. Uh, but the force of that river was um, uh, enough to um, uh, destroy the bridge that oh. crosses the river. So it knocked out a portion of the, of the existing bridge at that time on Highway 1 that went over the Carmel River wow. and cut off Big Sur uh, for at least six months while they replaced the bridge. And this was in 1995? 1995. Uh, and then there was another El Nino event, um, as they're called, um, in 1998, um, which also flowed both to the north and the south and flowed over the highway. Uh, so we have photographs that show that entire area underwater and floodwaters. Um, and so because of the damages to the infrastructure from that flooding that occurred uh, on the north side of the river, there are homes there, um, uh, uh, housing complexes, there are businesses where the crossroads are, and um, mission fields on the other side, because of the impact of the, those flooding events and the amount of money, the losses uh, that were incurred as a result of that flooding, um, that's when the idea for this project was born. And the idea is to use a nature-based solution to addressing the flooding uh, risks that are there um, in the lower Carmel River. And so the Carmel River Free Project, that name um, is a more recent name for the project. Um, it stands for the Carmel River Floodplain Restoration and Environmental Enhancement Project, which is a mouthful. So we've <laughs> shortened it <clears throat> to Carmel River Free, which is kind of an apt name because essentially the project is freeing the river to reconnect to its southern floodplain from which it has been cut off by these earthen levees that have been built. So the project uh, has a number of components to it. Um, one of those is to 
Uh, so if you think of Odello East as a big bathtub, it has a very teeny tiny little drain at one end, just where the, it meets the highway, it has little culverts there. So in a flood event, the water doesn't have any place to go except up over the highway um, or, um, or it builds up in the river and then floods both to the north and to the south. So the idea of the Karma River Free project is to create a bigger opening uh, in the bathtub hmm. where the water can flow and to create pathways for water to move through the southern floodplain and under the highway into the lagoon, the south arm of the Carmel River Lagoon. And so the key components of the project are to create this larger opening um, underneath the highway. So it's basically going to um, involve putting in what's called a, a causeway or an overflow bridge. So the existing highway now acts like a big levee it's raised up and it's a big levy uh, in essence. And so um, they're going to dig out underneath the highway about 10 feet deep and about 360 feet wide and build a new bridge. So the highway is not going to be elevated. It's gonna be at the same elevation that it is now, but there'll be a bigger opening under the highway so that floodwaters can move under the highway and into uh, the south arm of the Carmel River Lagoon, um, which will be good for the lagoon and the south arm because it will allow an influx of water um, to churn things up, um, which is good for freeing up nutrients for wildlife, for fish, um, and aerating the water and just having an influx of water um, in the lagoon will be um, help enhance the habitat there. Mm. Uh, and then where the levees are, uh, long portions of the levees will be cutting little notches in the south levee so that at certain levels when the river rises up, it will be able to flow through, there'll be five notches in the levee. It will be able to flow through those uh, open areas mm and into a contoured landscape that will include pathways for the water to move um, through that landscape and then underneath that causeway and into the lagoon. So basically you're reestablishing a connection between the river and the, its southern floodplain, so from the north to the south, and then a connection from the east to the west. So you're allowing the lagoon to connect upstream to the floodplain, and you're allowing the river to connect south to uh, the floodplain. So it's both north-south connectivity and east-west connectivity. And so um, you're basically engaging the floodplain. So floodplains, uh, by nature's design, are designed, hence the name, to absorb floodwaters. And what happens sometimes is that we build structures in floodplains and they flood. And then we try and use um, concrete hard infrastructure to solve that problem, to stop the flooding from damaging the infrastructure. So in this case, we're actually engaging the floodplain to do what nature designed it to do, 
which is to help absorb some of those floodwaters and move those, and they'll be contoured, that floodplain to move a lot of those floodwaters through the area. Some will absorb down into the soil, some of that water will absorb down into the groundwater, uh, and some of it will move through the area under the causeway into the lagoon. So it's really, um, as I said, a, a nature-based solution to trying to reduce the flood risks and flood impacts to infrastructure. So that's one of the key um, objectives uh, that we have for this project is to help reduce that flooding, uh, those flooding risks and impacts to the infrastructure on the north side of the river. There are other benefits to the project um, in terms of habitat restoration in the floodplain, bringing more water, planting native plants, and bringing that back to once, uh, what it once was in terms of a mosaic of habitats which will attract wildlife. So it's creating a natural area that will provide us with ecological services that we can use to address um, uh, human, human issues, human problems. That's a very long-winded answer <laughs> to your question. I didn't let you get a word in edgewise. No, no, no problem, <laughs> no problem at all. Um, and that, folks, is quite the comprehensive response that we look for here on our podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, that was a wealth of information and um, much more than, than uh, we uh, could anticipate. And, and what a fantastic approach, right, with, with implementing something as, would you say, biomimetic? Kind of like biomimetic, yes. So nature, yes. you know, imitating yeah. uh, nature in its natural sense, re yes. returning back to right. Um, and I, I know that there was a, a sort of way in which this approach is called uh, green infrastructure. Right. So how do you think we can create more of this green infrastructure, not only for our environment but also be incorporated for like let's say, future housing developments? How can we go about thinking about that? So that's a great question. Um, so we, um, in different places, we actually do implement green infrastructure. So that's in contrast to the, the gray infrastructure as we think about it, which right. is you know, roads and buildings and hardscape. So this is really soft, softscape. It's, it's natural areas. Sometimes we do this kind of work on a very small scale where when you're doing a housing development or some other sort of development, you can create uh, areas where you plant certain types of plants, uh, what they call bioswales, which are designed to absorb water. Mm. Um, so there are regulations now related to stormwater, for example. So if we pave things over, the water has no way to absorb into the ground, and so it runs off uh, during storms and carries with it everything that we leave on the asphalt. So oil That's and other things, trash and other things. And so um, with developments now, there are all kinds of rules and regulations about the management of stormwater. And uh, some of those approaches to addressing that are hardscape approaches, but some of them are more green infrastructure approaches where you use nature again, plants, um, mostly uh, to absorb water. Um, the plants can filter nutrients. They can also filter um, 
other types of pollutants uh, and act. Uh, there's tons of research on the role that wetlands play, for example, in, in cleaning the water uh, and absorbing nutrients and um, processing other pollutants that come in uh, and resulting in basically scrubbing the water of the bad things that are in there that we don't want to see go further downstream. So um, today, people do this at their homes. Um, um, people do it as um, part of requirements that are associated with developments to use green infrastructure approaches. And there's a whole kind of portfolio of what some of those things look like that can be implemented at your house or at your business or at your development or in this case, um, in a multi-benefit project like this. Right. I'm reminded of a, a study session they had at City Council here in town where there was a housing development project. It was multi-purpose. It's on North Fremont Road. And um, one of the subject matters that was being discussed, it was um, for the architecture review commission, I believe mm -hmm. it is. And they were going into the stipulation of how do we capture the stormwater? What's, what's going through with that? And so that, that's kind of yeah. Uh, more in line with you know green infrastructure and the the, the regulations that go behind that and right, exactly. how we can uh, restructure how we build things you know right. Uh, right. in that sustainable way. Mm -hmm. um, going into uh, the restored floodplains, um, what does this mean in particular for uh, groundwater in the area? That's a good question. So. Um, we're going to be studying that very question um, once we implement this project. So we've done some baseline work um, in terms of mapping of groundwater in that area, but we're really going to be looking at the extent to which this project um, will enhance uh, groundwater levels in that particular geography. Um, and so that's one of a number of questions that we will be asking and studies that we will be doing post uh, construction in looking at the ability of this project will certainly capture um, some groundwater, enhance some of the groundwater. Um, there are also other projects in this geography that will also uh, be assisting in, with that. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're going to want to be monitoring to learn more about the extent to which that will happen. We know it will, but we don't know how much it will. And it will depend, you know, obviously on how many storm events we have, uh, because it won't be every storm. Um, there'll be certain uh, levels of storm events that will trigger the river uh, uh, to rise to a level that will then flow into the floodplain. What we don't want to have happen, uh, and so we've, uh, part of the team that's been working on this, uh, it's a it's a highly technical endeavor, and I'm not a geomorphologist um, or a hydrologist, but we are working with a team of people uh, who have that expertise. Uh, and so there's been a lot of modeling that's been done to look at um, how big those notches in the levee should be, how deep they should be, um, to determine uh, at what flood levels uh, you want uh, to orient those notches to so that uh, the water will flow into the floodplain. If you make them too big or too deep, 
you could, the river could move. So we don't, there's a, a technical word called avulsion, uh, which um, is basically means that, uh, you'd, uh, that the river would actually change its course. So instead of that channel, that existing channel, if, it, uh, uh, if those notches are too deep, too wide, then the river uh, might um, end up moving its main stem into the southern floodplain. We don't want that to happen for a whole variety of reasons. Um, there's existing habitat that depends on the current course of the river, um, and that would result in a bunch of other problems uh, that we don't want to have happen. So we don't want the river to, all uh, to move and take up new real estate on Odello East, um, but we do want under certain flood events for some of that water to come out of the river and move across the floodplain. Mm. So, you know, as, as you know, we're going through periods of long drought and then these intense storms associated with a changing climate. Um, and so there will certainly be, like we had this past winter, we came very close this uh, within days or hours of um, uh, flooding in the lower Carmel from these intense storms that we had. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of time uh, till that happens. So right. we're, we'd really uh, are hoping to get this project on the ground before the next major flood event. Um, the other, uh, so we'll be going through periods of drought and periods of intense storms over time. The other part of this project, which relates to your question, is that the, by creating the causeway and allowing the lagoon to connect from west to east, um, it will allow for sea level rise. So as the sea level rises, the water in the Carmel River Lagoon will rise, and this will give a pathway for the water to back up instead of going over the highway, yeah. to back up into that uh, floodplain uh, to the east. Mm -hmm. So it is a climate adaptation project as well wow. uh, in dealing with uh, these future intense storms, which we will surely have, and also the, the elevating uh, sea level. Excellent, excellent. That that sounds great. <laughs> I I like that uh, with with regards to the uh, rising sea levels, um, and so going into the implementation stage, uh, who are some of the stakeholders and partners that you guys are getting involved with uh, with improving the habitat, uh, in particular for uh, subject matter of planting. Uh, great question. Um, so this is um, we like to we. Um, like to characterize this as a bit of a Rubik's cube um, because it uh, this is a multi-stakeholder project, multi multi partners, um, and uh, multi uh, funding entities. So there are lots of hands in this project um, that are required to make it actually happen. Um, and so, as I mentioned at the top, the land trust and the Monterey County resource management agencies are the co-sponsors for the project. Um, we're partnering uh, also with California State Parks that owns the land on the west side of the highway that will be 
a portion of which will be part of the project. There's also a small portion of property, a couple of acres at the eastern end of uh, the project site that's owned by the Monterey Peninsula Regional Park District. Uh, Caltrans owns the highway. Um, and so we're partnering, uh, the county is partnering with Caltrans on the project. Um, there are cooperative agreements between Caltrans and the county. So we like to say that we're in the metaphorical bridge building business, <laughs> but we're not a public works entity. So we're partnering with the county, which has a public works department, um, who is then partnering with uh, Caltrans, which is the California Department of Transportation, um, who owns the highway. So all those pieces have to fit together and all those entities have to agree to work together. Um, this is, we've also gotten federal funding for this project. So we've gotten, this is a completely grant funded project, which wow. means we have to raise all the money to both plan it and implement it. And so um, we've gotten money from the Environmental Protection Agency, which is federal. We also have gotten some funding from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, and they are the lead agency for the federal government. Um, and uh, the county is the lead agency under the state um, environmental review, which is also known as CEQA, um, the California Environmental Quality Act. And the federal, on the federal side of that equation is NEPA, which is the National Environmental Policy Act. And so um, there are a number of agencies uh, that we are partnering with. Um, a num uh, there are other key stakeholders, um, the Monterey Peninsula Water Management District, the Monterey County Water Resources Agency, um, the uh, there's a, a service area to the north of the river uh, called uh, County Service Area 50, which is basically uh, encompasses a lot of the, the homes and businesses that are in that area. Uh, and the people who live in that service area pay money into making uh, flood control improvements. Mm. This project is actually going to save that s service area CSA 50, as it's called, about $14 million in improvements as a result of implementation of this project. Things that they won't have to do because we're implementing this project. So it it's actually provides a big cost savings to the county. And then we have a host of funding um, agencies. The State Coastal Conservancy uh, is a big champion of this project and has provided funding the California Department of Water Resources, um, the Wildlife Conservation Board for the state of California uh, are among um, the current funders. Um, we are also looking for funding from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is also known as FEMA, uh, and we actually have a big grant into them right now. Um, so it is a comp an incredibly complex project that um, I often say is um, it's a multi-benefit project. Uh, it's also apparently multi-generational <laughs> because it's taken uh, some decades to put in place. Um, and it requires um, funding from a number of different sources. 
and partnership among a number of different entities. Right, right. I mean, that's, yeah, you talk about a Rubik's Cube, right? It is a Rubik's Cube, um, yes. That's tremendous. And uh, going into that, you know, uh, looking at some sort of, of the considerations that have been taking up, uh, politically speaking, um, what has been some of the complications, challenges in this planning stage for uh, restoring um, this project to where it, it is currently at now during its uh, stage? So some of the kind of overarching challenges, and then I'll get to kind of where we are in the process now. It's, uh, as I said, it's it was conceived of in the 1990s. So here we are, it's um, uh, 2019. So it's mm. taken a long time um, and, uh, and we're still working at it. Um, uh, so there's been a long time frame from conception to completion, right? Um, there's been changes in leadership among some of the sponsors over that long time period. You would expect that uh, people come and go from organizations and from agencies. So every time you have a change in leadership, then you have to get new leadership on board um, and it takes a while to ramp everything back up again. Um, it's a complicated project. I mentioned the Rubik's Cube of partners and funding. It's also complicated technically. Um, uh, and there's been a lot of modeling, as I mentioned, trying to figure out the, the right configurations of the project um, so that uh, it uh, works the way we hope it works. Um, it took us time to acquire the land. So we only acquire land from willing landowners and um, and the Eastwoods um, uh, had uh, other work that they had to figure out what they wanted to do with their property ultimately and when they were ready to donate it to the land trust, which was very generous of them to do that. Um, and that had to be in within a time frame that worked for them, right? And so until we got the land, we couldn't implement the project, right? So, um, and, and obviously the longer things take, the higher the price tag is because uh, prices go up. So there's a whole host of challenges, um, but it's a great project and people are still very committed to it. And um, once, once it is implemented, it will be obviously in a very highly visible area um, and it will be a tremendous opportunity for that site to serve as an outdoor classroom mm. uh, because it's going to be one of the biggest um, floodplain restoration projects in Central California. Um, and uh, there'll be many students who will be writing many papers for many years <laughs> about this project, um, I think. And, um, and there'll be some opportunities for getting school groups involved in some of the restoration pieces. Um, so where we are right now, we just completed um, the public review period for the environmental document. So when you're doing a project like this, you have to produce um, uh, what's called an environmental impact report, uh, which is required under the state of California. And the federal um, piece of that is the, the NEPA piece. So there's a CEQA document and a NEPA document. They're in one document. So we just completed uh, writing a draft uh, environmental impact report and environmental assessment, which is the NEPA part. 
We circulated that for public review. That public comment period just closed on April 22nd. Um, and people can find the project, that big, giant, 700-page document, uh, on the county website. And I think we have a link on our website to theirs, so people can um, find that document if they want to dig into it. Um, so right now, we're working with the project team uh, to look at all the comments we got. Uh, and then we'll be um, revising the document to as we need to, to address any comments as needed. That's going to then go, uh, hopefully, um, probably in the early, late summer, to the County Board of Supervisors uh, to be certified. A final environmental impact report will have to be certified. Then a bunch of permits will have to be obtained from numerous agencies, um, and then um, we hope, and then the, the remaining funding that we have to raise through public grants uh, will have to be um, obtained. Uh, and then um, the design will be finished, and then uh, the county will go out to bid to hire a contractor uh, to implement the project. So. Um, where you know it went from conception to looking at the feasibility of a project to looking at building the partnerships raising the money doing the initial design now we're in at 60 percent design um, we're going to um, finalize an environmental document then we're going to go to 90 percent design we're going to get permits we're going to get the rest of the money and then we're going to hire a contractor to build the project uh, so the, the schedule right now, if all the stars align, there's a harmonic convergence of everything, um, we will go to construction probably in 2021. Uh, and it will be about um, a, um, oh gosh, 24 to 26 month construction period. So it'd be about two years of construction. And they're gonna build all the pieces. So they'll build the new highway causeway piece and remove the notches in the levee and grade the floodplain. All the material that's graded. So there's gonna be a lot of dirt being moved around. Mm. So when it's all constructed, uh, people ask, well, what is it gonna look like when it's constructed? It's gonna look like the big brown because it's going to be a lot of dirt that's been moved around in a different configuration. Uh, the good news is that all the dirt that's moved around, all the grading that's done, instead of loading the, that material on trucks and sending them off to the dump, all that material is going to stay on site. And it's going to be used to build up a small 23-acre portion of the floodplain up high enough that it's out of the 100-year flood, uh, and so it won't flood. And we're going to create a 23-acre agricultural preserve to pay homage to the agricultural history of that site. So someday there might be a small demonstration farm there um, that can be used for education, um, uh, and that's in the long term. So um, because we're doing that, we get to keep all the dirt, 
there instead of trucking it off and polluting the air with trucks uh, that are taking it all that um, material off-site. Um, and then we, then the land trust is going to be planting a variety of different sorts of species of plants uh, over a phased approach that will take a number of years. So, um, so our job as a land trust, once the project is constructed, will be to implement a long-term adaptive management and restoration plan for the site. And that's going to be our job for a long time. And so we'll be working with community members, we'll be working with contractors, our own staff in implementing this vision. And on our website, there's a pretty diagram uh, of what that will look like. Um, and we've set up a, a fund at the Community Foundation called the Carmel River Free Stewardship Fund mm -hmm. to raise private dollars to help us do that work in the future. Right, right. I, I see that right now. That would effectively help cover the stewardship costs mm -hmm. in the next 20 years, right. and hopefully longer. Right. right. Um, what a vision that you guys have, the tremendous work that you guys are doing here and with with the Stewardship Fund at the Community Foundation for the county um, and then looking at how the community gets uh, involved in surrounding this area like businesses, like homeowners. Um, what do you see uh, as incentives for folks to get involved and how to really springboard that into effect once this really is uh, implemented in, in that's place? A, that's a great question. So um, we already have seen community members be involved in being advocates for the project. So the people who live on the north side of the river who experienced the floods in the 1990s um, are huge advocates for this project. And um, their main complaint is, why is it taking so long, right? <laughs> um, why hasn't it happened already? Um, and so uh, people, local people, have already been involved in kind of carrying the torch for this project and being champions for the project, which we, of course, deeply appreciate. Um, and we have a ways to go, so we encourage people, obviously, to continue to be advocates for the project um, to help us, uh, you know, get it across the finish line. Um, and in terms of future uh, engagement, um, there will be opportunities for the folks in the CSA 50 area that I mentioned to um, actually contribute a little bit of funding to um, ensuring that the pathways that are graded through that floodplain area, so we call them conveyance channels, but that's a little um, confusing, I think, uh, because they're not channels, they're not hardened channels, they're like um, swaths of land that will be pathways to, for water to flow through that will be about 60 feet wide and not that deep. So it's, it's really a depression um, that the water will move through and that we want to make sure that that stays clear so that only kind of grass grows on it and that we don't have trees or debris or sediment that collects there that would interfere in the flow of water. So that takes time um, and staff time and equipment to make sure that's mowed and taken care of. Uh, so we're hoping that the, um, 
the, that CSA 50 uh, and the people who um, live in that area and contribute uh, to county service uh, area 50 will contribute funding and that's a branch of, of the county uh, for that particular effort and then um, people can get involved by donating funds to money to the stewardship fund to keep that going there'll be opportunities we hope to work with schools with volunteers to do some of the plantings. So there will be um, a bunch of um, hands-on activities or ways to be involved in a hands-on manner uh, for people once we're um, uh, at the, that place. Um, and so I imagine um, that there'll be a number of different ways that people could uh, be involved in the project once it's implemented. We are also, um, right now um, to help educate people because it's hard even talking about this without the visuals or without being out on the land. You know, there's nothing like getting out on the land uh, to be inspiring and also for people to really be able to see and understand a project like mm -hmm. this. Um, and so we've been conducting tours of, of the property um, where we talk about the project and we have some tours coming up that will be advertised on our website um, that people can sign up for um, to come out um, uh, and go for a, it's about a couple hour event um, where we walk people out um, to the to the site and we also talk about the surrounding parklands uh, and it's nothing like getting out there and then you can actually see the highway and see the ocean and see the landscape and kind of get up and see the river and get an understanding about how those, all those pieces fit together. So we encourage people, if you're interested in, in learning more about this project um, on the ground, um, uh, to check out our website uh, and come take one of these tours. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, as, as it is, this comprehensive project uh, seems to be nothing uh, air shy of, of, of excellence across oh, the board. Thank you. Thanks. Um, we hope so. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're all, what we're all striving for, and it's taken many hands and many minds uh, and many people to um, bring this uh, project uh, to this place and to, you know, we'll take all of those folks to make it happen. And, and with community support um, uh, is invaluable in making projects like this happen. Mm. I would argue that you're invaluable. Oh, well. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> this. oh gosh, um, thanks. Thank you so I'm much. Now. And uh, I'd like to uh, uh, extend that warm welcome uh, for folks uh, to go ahead and sign up for that tour, uh, mm -hmm. Carmel River Free Tour. It uh, seems like we have a date in line, May 31st at 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, you can find that event on BrigSirLandTrust.org. Um, again, uh, thank you so much for thank being you. with us. Uh, Rachel Saunders, yes. Director of Conservation here at the Big Sur Land Trust, doing amazing work. And I look forward to seeing that vision come true. Great. And thank you for doing this podcast and spreading the word about not only this project and the work of the Big Sur Land Trust, but all the other projects um, and efforts uh, 
by other people in our community and outside our community to make uh, the planet a healthier place. So thank you. Excellent. Well, tune in next time, folks, until uh, we talk more about sustainability and restoration in the Monterey Bay Peninsula. Thank you.